We've come to this part of Galatians in chapter 3, 23 through 29, and we're going to see here the contrast of law and faith. The great question before the church is, can I simply be saved by faith? Just through my belief in Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done. Or do I have to do something to prepare myself? Or afterward, do I have to do something in addition to what Christ has done in order to complete my salvation, to maintain my salvation? And so Paul, as, you, as we have studied, has told the Galatians and the Holy Spirit through Paul's pen is telling us that there's only one gospel and that we are justified by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. The simple answer is no. You don't have to do something to prepare yourself. It's all an act of God. Salvation is all an act of God. And salvation is eternal. It is in the heart and mind and work of God. It's from everlasting to everlasting. That's why we call it eternal life. Now God works that out in his wisdom and in his way in time during our lifetimes. There comes a time in life where we are Consciously convicted through the word of God, having studied it, received it, listened to it, taught or preached. God calls us with a call that cannot be resisted. And we come, we come because God has called. Not only that, God causes us to be born again, strips us of ourselves and deposits within our lives the gift of faith. It's all of God. And this is the simple message of the gospel. That God has done what is required and is necessary. What, what he has required to bring to us salvation. Those of us who are in Christ. Of course the Galatians had been bewitched by Judaizers who were wanting to add conditions of the law, the Mosaic law of the Old Testament, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which Paul, inspired by the Spirit, is adamantly refuting here in his letter to the Galatians. So as we continue, we further see here in this passage the contrast of law and faith. I want us to look at four things in verses 23 through 25. Now, before faith came, now he had previously covered this. We've already looked at it. God made the promise to Abraham. Remember back in Genesis 15, God said, I'm going to do this for you. Not only that, I'm going to bless the whole world, families of the whole world through you. You're going to be a blessing in your seed to everybody. Abraham believed God. You see, the great promise of salvation was that from the loins of an old man, 
Something miraculous was going to happen. He was going to have a son who would have a son who would have a son. They'd have children and children. A great nation be born. And out of that nation would come the Christ of God. The blessing. The one who would bring us the blessing to every family in the world. Abraham believed that. In that promise from Abraham, he saw the promise of the Christ. His own Savior. Although it was his descendant, he saw him as his savior. Something very simple but profound happened. Abraham believed God. God gave him his word. Abraham believed him. And God credited Abraham with righteousness because of his faith. We've already studied, but to remind ourselves... This is, this is 400 years before the law. There was no law. There was no ordinance of circumcision at that point in time for the descendants of Abraham. God justified him just right there on the spot. He believed God. God gave him a righteousness that Abraham could not attain for himself. And that righteousness, of course, will always stand good for Abraham. Now... Paul went on to explain in previous verses what the law has done. The law has one purpose. That is, namely, to identify us as sinners. It can't save us. It's a very harsh thing. It came by mediators, as we've studied, and, and it, was, it, was, it was an intimidation. It was a threat. It was death. You, you break any part of the law any time in your life. Even the least part of it that some may consider the least. And it brought death, death penalty on you. And you could never escape that death penalty. That's the law. That is the law that came. So we understand now by the, by the definition of the Holy Spirit in the Bible that the law, the purpose of the law is to make us understand that we are sinners there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And we look at those, just, just those 10 commandments, those 10 things. And we find ourselves breaking them. Having broken them when we study, we say, well, you know, I've, man, I've, I've not always honored my father. I've coveted things. I've, I've borne false witness. There's a time I bore false witness. Didn't even know it, but I bore false witness. Hey, you're guilty. Christ further identifies it, this obedience to the law in his Sermon on the Mount. Your thoughts convict you and condemn you. Christ says, you see it in the law, thus and so. It says, uh, don't murder, but if you've harbored hatred in your heart against somebody, you've murdered him. Do not commit adultery, but you've harbored lust in your heart against someone. You've, you've committed adultery in your heart. Christ says in the Gospels, it is our thoughts that come from the heart of man that condemn us. Why? Because we are of a fallen race. We are sinners. We're depraved. We need a new nature. We need to be born again. God takes care of all of that. How in the world? The question was asked when Christ said to him, you have to be born again. Well, what am I supposed to do? Crawl back into my mother's womb? 
Christ went on to explain spiritual rebirth. God, according to Peter, 1 Peter, God causes us to be born again. It is a work of God. Now in the course of life, we come to this part where faith comes by hearing. We hear the gospel message. God calls us to himself. We are saved. God deposits faith. We have faith. We believe the word of God regarding the Christ, regarding ourselves. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I'm only worthy in the eyes of God by myself. I am only worthy of death, eternal death, eternal damnation in the lake of fire where we are tormented day and night forever and ever, the Bible says. That's all I'm worthy of. But through faith in Christ, you see, God has, God has for hundreds of years, under the law, the rituals of the law, has explained how he, he allows a substitute. He provides atonement. Something that apparently is unblemished and sinless can be offered. You can offer that in your place. And all that's wrong with you is transferred to that innocent thing. And the innocence of that thing is symbolically transferred to you. Now that's under the law, but that becomes a reality in Jesus Christ. So then, before faith came, there was the law. Number one, we were held in custody under the law. The law was a mean thing. You, there was no escape from the law. The law brought us under arrest. The law imprisoned us. The law sentenced us to death. Every one of us, every one of us, except for Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who divinely came to be an atonement for our sins. Other than that, every single member of, of the human race, every, every one of us, comes into this world automatically condemned in the race of Adam. We're all condemned. There's nothing we can do about it. The fact that we are born into the human race means that we are under the condemnation of the law. And so we're in prison, we're captured, we're under arrest, we've been sentenced by the law to death, we're incarcerated, there's no escape, there's no way out. So that's what the law does. We were held in custody under the law. Number two, having been locked up until the coming faith was to be revealed, to be revealed. Apokalufenai. To be manifested, to be unveiled, to be shown. All of those, all of those years in the Old Testament. The first promise of the Christ was right after right after the woman and the man had sinned. They were trying to save themselves by covering themselves with leaves and God killed something and shed its blood 
and ripped off its skin and covered them with the coats of skin. Only God can cover our sin. We can't cover our sin. There they were before there was ever a condemnation upon the woman or the man with regard to childbirth or working the ground or sweaty your brow and all that. God gave the promise of a savior, the seed of woman. Now the woman doesn't carry the seed. The man carries the seed. A virgin would give birth to our savior. And so there's at that early day in human history, there was hope. The seed. The rest of the Old Testament develops the story of how the promise of that seed is transferred from one generation to the next by covenant here and then covenant here and covenant here until in the due course of time, the Christ of God was revealed. Having been locked up until the coming faith was to be revealed in the Old Testament days, the gospel was there. We've seen it. There was the teaching, even to Israel, that the law could not save them. They were to look forward to the day of the revealing of the seed of woman, the great Passover lamb that God would provide for himself. The one who is later said to be, would be born in Bethlehem. Daniel even gave the time frame of when to look for him. And so the time came and it was during the time and at the place through the genealogy, the son of David, he was born of a virgin as Isaiah had said. And he was revealed. We were locked up in prison under the law until the coming faith was to be revealed. The same faith that Abraham had to whom was given a promise. Same faith to be revealed. Number three, so that the law was our strict guardian into Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Now let me patagogos. Pedagogos. To, to call the law a tutor, to call the law a tutor is really a, a, rather, a rather mild uh, translation of that Greek word. That Greek word carries us into the Roman world. In the Roman world, slaves had children. They had boys and they had girls. The boys, according to the steward of the household, had to be placed under a strict disciplinarian who would make sure that they would carry out their study in the craft that was needed in the household of the master. And so they would spend their lives, their early lives, their childhood days, they would spend learning what they were supposed to do. They couldn't cut up. They were disciplined, harshly, harshly disciplined. This, this 
this strict disciplinarian, this strict guardian. He was mean. There was no mercy. And so the little boys in their hearts as they grew older longed for the day that they could get out from under the cruel hand of the guardian under whom they had been placed. That's the law. The law is so mean. The law is strict. There is no mercy with the law. There is no grace in the law. It's just a harsh disciplinarian that requires of us the impossible. Into Christ, our strict guardian bringing us into Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Now, the gospel, the gospel is what carries us out from under the strict guardian into Christ. And our dormitory doors are broken open. The locks, the chains, the bars are broken down. We get up and walk out of those cruel, harsh school grounds. And the one who is leading us is the gospel who carries us into Christ. Justified by faith and Christ just walks over that guardian, knocks him out of the way, and we're in him. Christ does all of it for us. Christ perfectly executes whatever requirements there were, and we are in him, we are into him, and we're justified. We're made righteous. We're set free by faith so that those rules and regulations and that taskmaster, that, that, that awful guardian who had been in control of me is now meaningless. Jesus holds him on the ground and I just walk right by a free man and look at him on my way out and just say, there's Jesus, take that. So that we might be justified by faith, number four. Now faith having come we are no longer under a strict guardian. Everything in that whole Old Testament ritualistic, ceremonial, intimidating, threatening law, every bit of it, Christ took upon himself and he has fulfilled it within himself. He is the fulfiller of the law for me. I, by faith, have believed God, the gospel, the word of God, I've believed it. You're a sinner. You're helpless. You're depraved. You're useless. You're no good 
unless and until you are saved and salvation is all of God and none of me. And so by divine intervention, by grace, by grace, God in Christ comes and rescues me. The sentence of death was passed from me to Christ on the cross. The sinlessness of Christ was passed from him to me. Now faith having come, we are no longer under a strict guardian. Because I have a Savior who saved me. I believed the gospel. That I am worthless, depraved, a sinner, not worthy of God nor his heaven. But then came the part about Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The gift of God. So I believed in Jesus. I believed that when Christ went through his suffering and death, he did it for me. Very personal. All of those bad things that I've done, some of the things that I'm probably going to do. <laughs> he carried it all within himself. And he died for me. Having had faith in Christ now, who took the penalty on the cross, I'm no longer under a strict guardian. For you all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many as you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, male nor female. You're all in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed according to the heirs according to the promise. Let's look at it. Number one. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The same way Abraham had faith. Abraham believed God. And God credited him with righteousness. That same thing happened to me. I believe God. And I've been credited with righteousness. And while I'm connected to Abraham, more than that, I am directly connected to God through faith in Jesus Christ with all the authority and all the privileges of sonship, childhood, inheritance. For as many as you were baptized into Christ... You have put on Christ. This is not water baptism. This is spirit baptism. Placed into Christ. God the Holy Spirit does that. He plunges me into Christ. So now 
having been baptized, and I don't do that. The Holy Spirit is the baptizer. He, he baptizes me and puts me and plunges me into Christ. I cannot do that for myself. God does it for me. Then what happens? Well, immersed in Christ. I'm covered in Christ. Romans 6 gives a sort of a story. The, the beautiful illustration of that is baptism. It's a great testimony for a believer. We're buried in the water. And the new man raises up. When he plunged me into Christ, I was soaked. And so much of it was there, it was dripping in Christ. I've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. I couldn't do that for myself. God, through the Holy Spirit, did it for me. He plunged me into Christ. And I have put on Christ. Now, though my life is filled with shameful deeds, and though I'm struggling through this life, yet still... An old sinner man, I've been redeemed. So now when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Because I'm not wearing my old filthy garments anymore. I'm wearing Christ's robe of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin was made to be sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Everything that was wrong with me. In all of my life. Was placed on Christ. The guilt, the shame, the punishment, the death. The horrors of it all. He took it away from me. The guilt of it. Every bit of it. The penalty of it. He took it away. Would God the Father accept the payment made in my behalf by God the Son? Romans 4, yes, sir. God, he was raised for my justification. He didn't stay in the grave. The penalty of physical death for the sinner, he came up out of the grave. He put all of the sins of his people away, buried them in that grave. And then he brought all of us up out of the grave. Those who are his, he brought us up out of the grave. So I'm gloriously arrayed in Christ. Christ, my Savior, because I have believed God who told me that I'm a sinner I need to be saved, and faith in Christ is the only way I can be saved. So then, number three, and may I say, for whatever the manipulations may be, radically or politically or any other way, 
that are gripping our nation today, the troubles that are seeking to divide us as a human race in the United States, the answer of the Christian is very simple. It's very simple. It's in the Bible, and here it is. Here it is. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Now that's racial. The biggest racists in the world back in the day were the Jews. Neither Jew nor Greek. Neither slave nor free. Neither male and female. For you are all in Christ Jesus. So let me tell you. I'm an American and in many ways the problems of the country are my problems. But as a Christian, these things about racism and all this other stuff, those are not my problems. I'm in Christ. In Christ, those things are meaningless. They mean nothing. Regardless of the color of skin, the ethnicity, the origin, the language one speaks, doesn't matter. We're in Christ. And those, those, those limitations, those distinctions don't exist like this in Christ. I, listen, I, I, I try to be obedient to what the prophet says, walk humbly with thy God. I try to do that. Sometimes I get so mad I can spit. And I have to dive into the word, calm me down a little bit. Here is what I owe the world. I don't owe them a monetary payment. I don't owe them a shoe shine. I owe them Christ. The great encumbrance that is upon me is not to do some meaningless, silly thing externally. The great encumbrance upon me is to look with all of the love of Christ that I can and look the face in the world and tell them whatever color they may be, you need Jesus. Come to Christ. We're all the same in Christ. This is the answer of the church to the world. Here is what I owe you. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Only the true church possesses the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may I say to you, as complex as the problems are in society today, the only solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not going to pay our way out of these situations. We're not going to legislate our way out of it. All we can do is pray and preach the gospel and trust God. That he has a purpose for all of it.
Here is where the Christian is in this world. Hopefully those things in our lives have never been barriers anyway. When we're in Christ, for you are all in Christ Jesus. Now, if you are Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise, the blessings of the Christ, an eternal home in heaven. I'm so appreciative of the little place where Pat and I live. So thankful that I have, at least to this point, still running a car. So thankful for whatever we may have, food on the table, recognizing all of it as a blessing of God. But I'm not looking to conquer swaths of land in this world. I'm looking for a home in heaven. That's my promise. Something far greater than this world could ever afford me. This is the answer to the problems of the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the love of Christ, the prayers of God's people, trusting in the will and purpose of God, which will be accomplished in this life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. Died on the cross for sinners. Preacher, how can I be saved? Well, you start out by being a sinner. Only sinners are saved. The invitation, as it has been, is threefold. To address the needs of everyone who is here and everyone who may be watching or listening online. The first need is to be saved. To come to Christ by faith. To be born again. To be regenerated. By the miracle of God, become a new person. Through faith in Christ. That's the first need. Second need for a Christian is to be obedient to the command of the Great Commission and submit to baptism. After you're saved, you should be baptized. Thirdly, you should then connect yourself with a body of believers who believe the Bible who in obedience to the Great Commission are seeking out and building disciples. 
of Christ. Be a member of a church. Now, if any one or two or all three of those needs are in your life, we have deacons and their wives ready to sit down with you on your way out. There are two rooms. You'll see them as you exit. Those rooms are there. They're waiting to sit down, pray with you, speak with you, and carry you through what is required if God is calling you into any of those needs or perhaps all of them. That's the invitation. So as you exit, feel free to sit down with some of our deacons. Father God in heaven, thank you for Jesus Christ who died to save us, who lives to keep us, and who's coming again for us. Thank you for the simplicity and beauty of the gospel that covers all of our needs. Oh Lord, give us the strength and the resources and the wherewithal and the opportunity to share this gospel wherever we are and use all of it for your glory. And now dismiss us in your love and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Remember, no activities at the church tonight.